Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be now again, what a tremendous challenge to teach so much information to so many people about a heavy law that they all violated and everybody got it. (laughs) That's a pastor's dream. You know, it's hard to hear that convicting stuff that says you messed up, that says you shouldn't do this. Well, I did that, you know, and and all this conviction hitting, everybody's crying, they're upset, but they got it. Man, if I was like Ezra, I'd be like, whew, did my job today, man. Thank you, Lord God, for getting us to understand this stuff. You'd think maybe in this setting there'd be a lot of people who were so offended at the law for having broke it that they don't want to listen to it. Today, if you tell people they violated God's law, most of them, first of all, they don't care. And if you tell people they have violated God's law and you need to repent, the first thing they do is they get mad at you for telling them. They get offended. They don't want to hear it. They leave. I don't want to be friends anymore. I don't agree with you. Cancel culture. But it says here, everybody understood what they heard. They got it, and they received it. I'm telling you, God was working on that day. Had to be. This was beyond Ezra's ability. God's word got through. This is a large-scale miracle. I sometimes find it challenging to sit in front of one person and explain something and for them to get it all much less in front of a bunch of people, much less what, he, what they did here. And they got it. The people received it here in chapter 8 in the same way that we can receive it today. But we can receive it just like they did. If we're only willing, then God himself orchestrates the flow of understanding for us. I prayed before I went into this. I said, Holy Spirit of God, bring the understanding. This is past me. I can only say so much. You've got to have an understanding in God with the Holy Spirit of God to be able to pull out everything I'm trying to to give from the, from these words. It comes down to, is God working here? He was really working in this story. There is power in hearing God's word. The people that say, I don't need to hear God's word, they're missing this power. They're losing out on all the blessing they could. God's Word is not just a book full of good words and great lessons. There is actual power in the hearing of it. It brings faith. It has the power to change lives. And the people here in chapter 8, they were people who had suffered reproach. We have read that through the book. It means that they have been long insulted. They have long been put down by other nations. They've been bullied around. They've been ridiculed. They were distressed. They had a lot of problems. They've had a lot of hardship. They had been stolen from. They'd been captives. They were hurt. They had a lot of pain. 
But suddenly they hear God's word and they realize how they'd been set free. Not a one of us in here has gone through 70 years of captivity. These people have been through 70 years of captivity. They had every reason to be mad. They had every reason to never smile again. And they heard God's word. It broke their heart. It got in and they realized I've been set free. And now they're saying, all right, now you can get up and have a good time and be glad. They've been brought back and set free. And now the order was given for them to give portions to those who had none. They were to celebrate with feasting and be glad about it and to give to those who had nothing to feast with. God had given to them when they had nothing. And so now they were going to get to do the same thing to pay it forward to those among them who had nothing to celebrate. God says, I gave you when you had nothing. Now you give to those who had nothing and duplicate what I did for you. God saw to it that everyone was included. This is not just a party for the rich. This is also for the poor to be in as well. This was an invitation for all. Friends, we have a Lord God who does not weigh you based on your status, based on your finances, based on how much you've got in that bank account, whether you have a lot of money or no money. The invitation is for all. And if if you feel like you're coming into this with nothing, that's okay. God will instruct somebody who does have to give to you so you can jump in too. We have a good God, don't we? Nehemiah 8 and 13. Now on the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the words of the law. And they found, look at this, we found something. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths, which are little tents, temporary dwellings, during the feast of the seventh month. Guys, what day was this when they were doing this? It was the first day of the seventh month. And look what they suddenly found. Hey, what's this? Seventh month. This is where we are now. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing the timing of God, right? Verse 15, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, or in their courtyards, or the courts of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua the son of Nun until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was a very great gladness. The people got it again. Oh, they're understanding. No more weeping. Verse 18, also day by day from the first day until the last day, He read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Friends, this feast that they discovered here is the Feast of Tabernacles. And we are just about there, probably what, next week or something like that. It lasts for a whole week. And when I build this booth, I leave it in my backyard for a whole week. And anybody wants to come by, you can hang out in it. And I I remember the first time I ever went to Israel, it was during the Feast of Tabernacles. And those, like I said, those booths were everywhere. Some were very small. Some were big. I was walking through Old Town Jerusalem, and there's this big open area that they had 
turned into a, a booth. They, they ran some lattice work or something across the top and threw leaves over it. And there was a bunch of guys in there laying down. What is this? And they're like, well, Feast of Tabernacles, that's what they do. They hang out and they, and they dwell in this temporary dwelling. The, the picture of that is the Holy Spirit of God would dwell in us in this temporary dwelling that I'm in right here. And so they discovered the Feast of Tabernacles. God told them ages ago to celebrate this feast because it was a reminder to them of when God brought them out of Egypt. That's when it first happened. When they were coming out of Egypt, they lived in temporary dwellings because you don't. when you're on the move all the time in the desert, you can't set up a full big-sized house. you got to keep it temporary. And it was a reminder of when God says, I brought you out of Egypt. You were in captivity, and I got you out. So once a year, they're supposed to sit up these booths to be reminded. Now, I know it says that they had not done this feast since the days of Joshua, but I want to take you back to what we read in Ezra's day. I want to show you something just to make sure whenever I see a seeming contradiction, I make sure I explain it. I want to show you when before when Ezra was in there, Ezra 3 verse 4 says, They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. I like to take the seeming contradictions and explain them out because the Bible has no contradictions at all. So the question is, had the Israelites kept the feast or not? Because we just read that since the days of Joshua, they hadn't kept it. Had they kept the feast or not? Yes, they had kept it. They kept it when Ezra came back, because I just showed that to you. They kept it when they first started to restore the temple. So what did we just read in Nehemiah 8 then? Because it says that there had been nothing like this celebration since Joshua's day. What this means, it does not mean that no one had ever celebrated this feast at all since Joshua's day. The celebration here in Nehemiah, it was the first of its kind. It was a unique feast. First, it was commemorated by the whole congregation. In Ezra's time, it was not done by the whole congregation. Everybody wasn't in it. But this time, the whole congregation was in it. And secondly, it was celebrated with great gladness, as it's supposed to be. Third, it was celebrated with what I call a Bible fun. They had a huge hearing of the reading of God's Word for a whole week. And fourth, they celebrated the feast exactly the way Moses commanded it. This time, it was celebrated with a restored priesthood, because we read about priests that were there, all these Levites and all these guys, they had a restored priesthood this time, and also they had a restored temple. That comes from verse 18 that you can read that there. So nothing like this had happened since Joshua's time. Yes, Ezra came back, they they did a little thing of it, but not like this. They're doing it full throttle, all the way out like it was supposed to be done. It had never been celebrated like this since Joshua's day, and I wanted to see how long of a time that was. That's been, from Joshua's day till here, was 1,000 years, guys. This holiday, this celebration, this feast had been kind of, eh, been kind of gone. So not only had the Lord restored Israel back to their land, back to their specific lands of inheritance, but he had also restored their joy. Joy is very hard to restore, but that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. Isn't that great? He restored them from Babylon. says, now it's right on time for the Feast of Tabernacles. They just happen to find it in the book. Hey, this is the month we're supposed to do it. And what's it for? To celebrate being delivered out of captivity, just like we were taken out of Egypt. We're here out of Babylon. It's time to do it. Let's party. (laughs) 
The Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of gladness that the Lord has saved and delivered his people. Like I said before, first time was Egypt. Now they're back from Babylon. They have finally realized the depth of their sin, which drove them into humility and thankfulness for the fact that God loved them enough to pull them out of captivity again. You ever mess up once and felt bad about it? And then you messed up twice? Oh, man, I messed up twice. Well, they've been to Egypt captive. Now they've been to Babylon captive, and God is still restoring them. Look at how good God is. You can mess up multiple times, and as long as you're genuinely sorry about it, he will restore you. He pulled them out, and he restored them again. This is a holy God who keeps covenant promises with his people. He says, I will make you a people. I'm going to do things through you. He promised them that long time ago, and he's got to keep these promises. God keeps his covenant promises despite our flaws and despite our lack of ability. Isn't that good? A lot of people think that God will only uphold what he's promised them based on how well they perform. God says, I promised it, I'll keep it. Friends, when we fell off into sin, we lost our identity with God, much like how Israel had lost their identity. They forgot who God was. They had to, we need to hear the law. We need to know who God is. We, we want to establish our relationship back because they were lost. We lost our relationship. We lost our identity too, just like they did. But just like we saw of Israel here in Nehemiah, if we will become genuinely, repentantly sorry for our sin, I mean, you need to be sorry about it. I am genuinely sorry, Lord God, for what I've done. I am sorry. If you will be sorry about your sin and turn back to the Lord, then he's willing to deliver us from our captivity. He will, he will restore your relationship back again with him. He will restore your identity back with him again. He will restore your joy back with him again so that there can be celebration in your life unlike anything that has ever been celebrated before. This length of time that went for a long time that they had never been celebrated like this, this is a time of gladness unlike any time they have ever had. When you realize the depth of your sin and you give your life to Jesus, you repent, I'm sorry, he will give you a joy that is unlike anything you have ever experienced in your life. And if you say, well, I've never experienced that, maybe you need to get saved for real for the first time. You can't just say, thank you, Jesus, come in my life and not be sorry about your sin. You have to be sorry for your sin. Very sorry. And I don't mean walk around with your head slumped over for the rest of your life, because if you will get genuinely sorry, God will see that humility and say, okay, now it's time for you to get up and be glad. Thank you, God, for your persistence to save me even after I abandoned you is probably what the Israelites were saying. Just like in the chapter today, finding new life in the Lord should produce thankfulness enough to drive you down to your knees. Thank you, Lord God. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter into his gates with weeping and dread. Now, we should be past that. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Aren't you glad that the Lord God is patient with us? Oh, he waited a long time for me. And he's in 70 years with the people here, not to mention the 400 he was in with the Israelites from before in Egypt. 
Aren't you glad he's patient and that his truth has endured for thousands of years, even until our time? He waited through thousands of years of human history, even just to get to me. And I'm thankful for that. Friends, we should be just as thankful as the people here in chapter 8, because all of our forgiveness, all of our pardon, all of our grace comes from the truth of God's word, who personified is Jesus Christ. So thankful. And the people's reaction to Ezra's reading of the law, realizing the destruction of what they'd been saved from, is the same reaction we should have for Messiah Jesus. It should produce genuine thankfulness. Yes, I hit my knees. Yes, Lord, I'm sorry. But there should be a time of gladness in your life, too. I love it how the people were so distraught over their sin as they should be. But the Lord finally got to the point with them where he says, okay, you've cried enough. Get up and be happy. That struck me when I read this. Because for the longest time, I was so hard on myself for the sins I'd committed. I was very hard on myself. And I'm glad to see this. The Lord says, you know what? You have demonstrated your true humility. Get up and be glad. Enjoy life. Have a good time. Let's party and have a celebration. So they got up. They didn't weep anymore. And they celebrated. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It doesn't say humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and the Lord will keep his foot on your head. doesn't say that. He'll lift you up. When he tells you, get up and be glad, well then get up and be glad. But Lord, I've done all this terrible stuff. He's like, I know. I see your humility. Now get up and be glad. There's some people need to hear that. Are we sinners? Yes, we are. Is our sin bad? Yes. Did our sin cause damage? Yes, it did. Should we still be sorry about it? Yes, we should. But then there comes a time when the Lord views our humility and says, get up and be glad. Guys, I'm ready to live a glad life. I've had enough weeping. I've had enough pain. Yes, I'm sorry for what I did, but the Lord wants us to live with gladness. Let's do that. The reading of the law helped them realize that what they deserved versus what they got. They deserved condemnation, and they knew it. But with that realization, they came to understand who their God is, that he is not only a God of love, he's not only a God of restoration, but he is also a God of fellowship, even though he is angry at sin. Let's be glad, and let's celebrate. And they wept because they knew their sin was enough to completely ruin every good thing they'd ever had with God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Salvation is something to celebrate. You should celebrate life every single day knowing that you've been saved. Yes, godly sorrow produces repentance, and you can't be saved without godly sorrow. Because you have to have godly sorrow before you can get to repentance, before you can get to salvation. This is a one, two, three step order here. But I don't want you to stay in the sorrow and let it dominate your life to where it runs to depression, to it runs to where you can't enjoy life at all. You're just so miserable all the time. At some point, you need to stand up and have joy and be glad in the salvation that God's given you. Friends, there's power in the hearing of God's word. There's, it's got power to change lives. And these people here in chapter 8, they were people, they'd suffered so much insult 
They had been bullied, ridiculed, and put down. They were distressed. They had problems and hardship. They'd been stolen from. They had a lot of pain over the years. But the people recognized it was caused by their sin. The same for us. We've got a painful past, insult, and hardship. Until one day you heard God's word, how you could be forgiven and how you could be restored. And then when you heard it that day, it set you free. Now be glad. Be glad. I'll I'll just give you my own little story. I was miserable. I knew Jesus died on the cross, but I wasn't receiving it. And one day God's word broke through and it got in there. And now I'm glad. Be glad in your salvation. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It does not say that Jesus came and said, now you straighten up and then I'll do something for you. He died while we were still sinners. We saw how God demonstrated his love for the Israelites here in Nehemiah 8. I want to ask you a question. Has the Lord demonstrated his love to you yet? You know, I know you've got pain, but if that pain always trumps the good things that God has done for you, then how is he ever going to break through? Well, I've got this terrible thing. I was done so wrong. I had all these terrible things. I, I get it. When does God break through that? Has the Lord demonstrated his love to you yet? Are you saved by Jesus? Have you given your life to him? If you're saved, then great. But I want us to recall what we read today. When the people were ordered to send portions to people who had none, it says. And verse 12 says, The people sent portions and rejoiced greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. So today I have declared God's word to you, that you can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. But has that word given you enough understanding and joy to get you to give a portion of that to those who have not received it yet? There's people out there that don't have the gospel. Has this given you enough joy yet to where you realize, I need to give a portion to those who have none? This is my portion, the word of God. Jesus Christ died and saved me. That's my portion that I have been given. This is my gladness. I can't keep it to myself. What if they said, all right, now go give portions to those who don't have, and they said, no, I'm going to keep my portion for myself. Let's have, let's have the feast and celebrate. Why don't you give to those people that have none? No, this is my portion. Let's celebrate in the Lord God. Do you see how that would be selfish celebrating? It kind of doesn't add up. Friends, if you're saved, you've been saved by Jesus Christ. Realize there's people out there that don't have that portion. You want your celebrating to be more full. If you want your gladness to be more full, then go give a portion to those who don't have. If the people were glad enough to send portions to those who had none, then what about us? What about us sending portions out? It says in Mark sixteen fifteen, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And guys, that is not just a passage for pastors. This says you're, we're all supposed to do it. We're supposed to tell the gospel to every creature. Get up and be glad and go give a portion to those who don't have. Tell them the gospel. If you want this, you're tired of the reproach, you're tired of the insult, you need to pray and call out to your God like this. Father, forgive me, I sinned. I realize now how bad I broke your law. I'm sorry. I give you my life. Take it. It's yours. Replace that old pain and that old dread with joy. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.